Hello, this is Maurice Harker. What you're about to listen to is a clip from my Spiritual Psychology Masterclass. This is an online webinar classroom where you learn to harvest vital, life-changing psychological concepts from the words of the prophets. Enjoy what you listen to, and I'll check in with you again when you're done. I want to talk about a very common question that is brought to those of us who are working with complex relationship dynamics. And a phrase that we hear or a question we often hear is, how do I know if the other person is in recovery? How do I know if the other person is moving in the right direction? Okay, I'm going to try to narrow that down to a softer approach to the conversation. How do I know when to have hope that I'm engaging in a edifying conversation? We're going to review the opposite of that here as a demonstration of what we can watch for to know whether it's time to remove ourselves with graciousness. Um, I don't think I can participate in this conversation any further because it's not really going anywhere good. So we have this wonderful demonstration of communication between Nephi and his brothers. And as I was reading it, I'm all, you know, this is pretty uh, loud compared to what I usually see. And I usually see some pretty intense things. But um, I want you to imagine you're entering a conversation with someone and all you want to do is share your feelings. Has anyone ever entered a conversation I would just like to share my feelings. I've just had a few thoughts. Would you mind if I just share my thoughts and feelings? I'd like to let you know um, my perspective on the following situation. Okay, that seems like normal communication, right? All right. Now, imagine if the other person uh, responds with getting angry and wanting to lay their hands upon you with exceeding wrathness, bind you with cords, kill you and leave you in the wilderness to be devoured by beasts. Now, I can tell you this, in some of my marriage therapy sessions, it's usually the woman saying, I'm pretty sure that's what he actually wanted to do. He wanted to tie me up, kill me, and leave me for animals to chew on my carcass. I'm all like, wow. And then here's the interesting thing. These women say, "Um, can you tell me how I can continue the conversation with him in an edifying fashion? I just want to find a, how can I talk so he won't get mad? This is, that's how I, we hear it nowadays. Can you tell me how I can talk so I won't make the other person mad? All right. Now, when you read this story, do you feel tempted to pull Nephi aside and say, you know, you really need to improve your communication skills. You, you, you really made Laman and Lemuel mad. So you need to learn how to talk in a better way. Okay. How come we don't like our first thought isn't to pull uh, uh, Nephi aside and improve his communication skills. All right. Now we think that's really silly in this story, but look at yourself in the mirror. How many times have you talked to yourself about improving your communication skills because the other person got mad while you were talking? Were you under the impression that you were the one that caused them to be mad? All right. Did Nephi cause Laman and Lemuel to react like this? What do we learn from this? Here's the Whenever you speak with someone by the spirit, you're at risk of getting yourself killed, just so you know. All right. There is some truth to that when you're a therapist. Yeah. Okay. Now, in a lovely way, Nephi was blessed with strength. But let's observe what happened after he was blessed with strength to break out of it. 
Now we hear this common phrase nowadays, uh, uh, speak my truth or hold my boundaries. Now, can we assume that Nephi was trying to speak his truth and hold his boundaries with his brothers? I'm just trying to speak my truth. I'm just trying to hold some boundaries here. And I get the question regularly, that doesn't seem to work because they're just angry again. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass that I, they were angry with me again, two times. And they sought to lay hands upon me. And if it wasn't for the daughters of Ishmael, Nephi would have been laying on the ground dead with uh, the animals chewing on his carcass. Okay. All right. If you're in an interaction pattern with another human being and you are really, really, really hoping that there's going to be a positive outcome to it and you do everything you possibly can to bring this spirit with you in the communication and they respond with being angry. Now, in modern days, they're less likely to lay their hands on you, kill you and feed you to the animals. But this is a great demonstration because it might feel like it. May I recommend you probably, unless you're a prophet, probably just withdraw to a safe distance. And sadly, in verse 20, we are given another uh, element of a person who's not in recovery. They demonstrate that um, they sorrowed and bowed down before Nephi. We call this an overcompensation it's the guy who brings roses to his wife right after he yells at her and calls her mean names. We have, it's, it's the abuse cycle. And so um, what we're told later on in the story, uh, many chapters later, is eventually Nephi and his loved ones had to remove themselves to a safe distance permanently. It's a very elongated story. And I'm totally fine in verse 21. It says, I did frankly forgive them. For all that they'd done, I did exhort them that they would pray unto the Lord their God for forgiveness. All right. It is not uncommon for each of us in the early stages of a catastrophic relationship to forgive quickly. Um, I am confident that Nephi was filled with a layer of naivety combined with his spiritual support from God. Um, I don't think it requires naivety to forgive. I think it's highly appropriate to forgive. But let's not assume that Nephi now trusted them. We could spend a whole hour on this concept. Forgiveness does not equal trust. That is a very vital principle. Abusers, those who abuse, think that forgiveness does equal trust. And so what they often say is, you're still not forgiving me because you're bringing up the past. Now, I bring up the past because I still don't have adequate reason to trust you. In the marriage repair workshops, we walk through this very detailed process of rebuilding trust because it's not something where you say, I'm sorry, now you can trust me. I'm sorry, now you can trust me. And so I'm totally supportive of the idea of forgiving someone, but I do also support staying at a safe distance while the trust is being rebuilt. So please don't let people convolute forgiveness with trust. We spend a lot of time on this theme in the marriage repair workshop, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it now. But um, your animal brain is a major player in the trust rebuilding process, and it's very trustworthy, your animal brain. If it says, I'm scared, there's usually a reason to be scared, um, either because a past pattern hasn't demonstrated that it's adequately improved, 
or because there actually is something dangerous in the moment. Women fascinate me with what happens when the trust does start to be rebuilt because the softening is always faster than I expect as a clinician, but slower than is expected by the abuser. So usually most of the cases we deal with are when the husband's behavior has traumatized the wife. And so that's usually the pattern we're talking about. In reality, the main message I want you women to have is when trust is correctly being rebuilt, you will warm up almost beyond your own willpower. It's quite, most of the women go, I'm feeling crazy. I'm feeling crazy. I'm feeling crazy. And I'm all, tell me why you're feeling crazy. Because I'm starting to uh, reach for connection. I'm starting to open. I'm trying, starting to soften. But I'm going, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But I, it's almost like I can't help myself. The reason that's happening is because there is some trust being rebuilt. And your natural spiritual cravings for healthy human connection are pushing like a plant growing in the sidewalk. And you can almost feel the cement plates being pushed by this tiny little plant. And you're going, this can't, this doesn't make sense. How is it possible for a little plant to push cement? So I want you to understand that you don't have to make yourself trust somebody. You don't have to talk yourself into it. When a trustworthy environment is is growing, it will automatically grow inside of you. If the trust environment isn't, then that plant will just sit there and nothing will push against the cement. Again, it's amazing to me always the, what you can find in the scriptures that has to do with normal life psychology just by sifting it out. Hello, Maurice Harker here again. You've just finished listening to a clip from the Spiritual Psychology Masterclass, where you learn to harvest vital, life-changing psychological concepts from the words of the prophets. Please continue listening to the other podcast episodes where you will have access to many, many more principles. But when you're ready for a big, thick chunk of this educational material, please uh, follow the link that's attached to the text connected to this podcast, and you will be given instructions on how to register for the class where you can spend an hour each week sitting with me and learning how to harvest psychology from the words of the prophets. I look forward to seeing you then.